Welcome to Living in the Glass, an exploration of Virginia wineries, breweries, and distilleries. I'm your host, Paul Helmuth. This podcast started as a thought process that I wanted to explore a growing business within Virginia related to wineries and distilleries. Even within the city of Harrisonburg where I live, we have numerous breweries that have popped up over the last several years. Recently, I attended a class at Bluestone Vineyards and listened to Lee Hartman talk about some of his experiences and wanted to learn more. So to start off the first episode, I spent some time talking with Lee about his family and how they started in the wine industry and how they've expanded. I'm here with Lee Hartman mm-hmm. and we're at Bluestone Vineyards just outside of Bridgewater, Virginia. So how did you get started in wine? So, um, so I think my parents and I both blame each other. Um, I, I blame them entirely, though. They, um, they had a, uh, like a, a garden vineyard, for lack of a better word. It was, it was a row of this and a row of something else, and there was another row. And it, it wasn't anything that was commercially viable. It was just kind of a hobby that they were, they were doing with uh, another couple from their Sunday school class, actually. And they, they did it for uh, a couple of years. And after doing that, I guess they, they thought, yeah, we know what we're doing. Let's, uh, let's plant 10,000 of them. And at that same time, they had ordered the vines and um, 4,000 to start with the first year. We planted Petit Verdot and Cabernet Sauvignon, um, Pinot Noir, which has been gone for a very long time, uh, and Norton, which we just ripped out this winter. Uh, right behind you, we'll be, we'll be replanting that with Cabernet, uh, actually, here in, uh, in just a couple of weeks. But uh, we started with 4,000 vines that first year. I was graduating from college with a degree in history. And um, I, I used to live in Europe. I wanted to move back there. I wanted to actually put my degree in history to use. I wanted to be a, a tour guide or work in a museum. And they were very supportive of that. They said, yes, you should, you should totally do that until um, you, till you line something up. Would you like to help us put some vines in the ground? And I thought, yeah, okay. And, um, I, and so I'm not alone in this um, uh, winemaking epiphany. I think this hits pretty much every winemaker who, who does this, but uh, it eventually occurs to me that, you know, this, this glass of Chardonnay or, or of Merlot or what have you is just, it's just a bunch of dirt and water and sunlight. And to me, that is the most wild thing um, imaginable. And so I, I, uh, I, we, we built the, the winery in 2010. Uh, prior to that, we were making wine in my parents' garage. We, we had uh, uh, ABC come out and bless it as a farm winery. And in, uh, we had been making wine prior to that without a license. You're, you're, you're allowed to, uh, as the head of a household in Virginia, you can make 250 gallons of wine per year, and everybody else in the household can make 150 gallons per year. Uh, you can't sell any of it, but you can give it away. So we were very popular um, <laughs> right out the gate. And um, by the time we, we built the winery in 2010, uh, we thought somebody should probably be in charge of this. So, uh, so I started um, uh, learning what was what. And um, you know, that first year, was we were very fortunate. It was 2010. And that was a year where you, you just you'd have to try to mess up the fruit. Right. And, and, and so because of that, we, we were able to kind of get off the ground pretty well. Uh, Michael Shapps was our consultant at the time. He would, he would come by, and as I tell people, um, we also have, uh, we had Chris Hill was our vineyard consultant, and they would come by and basically proofread our paper. They would, they would let us know 
you know, this is good, this is not good, I would do this, you can might try that, look into this. Um, they never, you know, hooked up a tractor, they never hooked up a pump, but they, they, they kept us in line and in the right direction. And, and so, uh, so that, that really kind of got us off, off to a good start. And, um, um, and then about that time, I realized this is what I, I was going to do until I retired. Right. And, and so, so ever since then, ever since 2010, I've been working really, really hard um, uh, to try to ensure that, you know, I'm, I'm not in front of a group of people one day. Um, and somebody, you know, I, I always envision this character from a Monty Python skit standing up at the back of the room saying, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. And so, so you know, I'm constantly doing classes. We actually had a seminar in here today with about a dozen other winemakers, and we were doing blind tastes of other other winemakers' work and um, uh, comparing, you know, controlled experiments, you know, like um, this is the control and then um, this one is not the control, but like maybe there's a third one and which of these three is not like the other one. And um, and so there's um, there's always kind of this continuing education thing. So it's not, it's not so much when did I get into it um, so much as I guess, you know, what, you know, th- this is something I'm still getting into right. uh, 10 years later. Well, and you talk about it, you know, in the medical profession and stuff, you have continuing education. Yeah. Obviously, it appears you do the same thing here in... My brother's London. a doctor. Yeah, right? he'll, yeah, exactly. Same thing. So, um, what, when you first started, what, what wines did you have? Um, so, when we first opened our doors, we had... Um, um, I'm trying to think. We had Cabernet and Cabernet Franc, uh, Chardonnay. We had uh, Vidal Blanc. We had a, a sweet white wine, uh, which we still have. It's called Beau. It's a blend of um, Vidal and Traminette. So I guess we also had Traminette. Um, now, now we have like we have like two dozen wines, which is um, uh, as a winemaker, I will say entirely too many. But um, but but you know, one of the reasons that we we've expanded so much. Uh, since we opened in January of 2011, is that um, we want to we want to be a place that makes serious wine. We want to do a good job. We want to be proud of um, of sharing our home, and we want to be uh, proud to be a, a really great Virginia winery. At the same time, here in the Valley, you know, maybe not everybody is a wine drinker, and we we want to be able to um, cater to people who. Um, would like to get into discussions with you about uh, the differences between Barolo and Barbaresco. And then we also want people to feel welcome here who have no idea what those things are. Right. You know, and so, so because of that, you know, it's hard for us to, um, to, to dial back the number of labels we have as, as, as much as I would love to simplify my life in the cellar. Right. Um, we, we, we have, we have not done that. So, with with it in you know you've got a, a vast vineyard here, but it's about not twenty two acres, right? It's yeah. not huge. Mm-hmm. How much of those grapes from the two dozen wines are grown here? So um, it depends. the The answer to all things wine and vine is it depends. So it depends on uh, the year. It depends on what we're getting from other vineyards. Uh, everything that that comes out of our winery, everything with the Bluestone label. Uh, is from Virginia. It all comes from about an hour away or less, and it all is grown at a thousand feet or higher. Okay. Um, so you know, it's not one of those um, you can just 
you know, you can just go online and find fruit and, and order it and it'll come in from California or Washington or New York or, or whatever. But, you know, that's, that's not what we do. It's not something that really interests us. And, um, uh, but your, your question of what, what percentage uh, comes from here, uh, it varies on the year, but I would say generally somewhere between 55 and, and 75%. All right. So it's interesting you mentioned elevation. You said 1,000 feet or higher. Mm-hmm. You know, from a lot of places, you know, valley floor is about 1,200 feet, some as low as 900, 800. Yep. You said 1,000 feet or higher. How does elevation make a difference in what the grape does? So we are extremely proud to be a, a winery in the Shenandoah Valley. Uh, I, I think that it has a really bright future in the world of Virginia wine. We have, uh, so where you are sitting here is at about 1,300 feet. The bottom of the hill is at about 12. Uh, up the road, we have our, our second block of, of vineyards, uh, and that goes from 13 to 1,400 feet. Uh, we also have three acres across the street, and that also goes from about 13 to 14. So when, when you look at uh, the valley, um, we are protected to the, from the west. We have the Alleghenies, and to the east, we have the Blue Ridge Mountains, and that protects us from a lot of weather systems. We're, we're one of the driest parts of the state. Um, uh, somebody once told me that Shenandoah County, which is just immediately north of us, is one of the driest parts east of the Mississippi, right. one of the driest counties. And uh, so w- up here, we, we, we are drier, we are cooler. You know, if you are ripening fruit at the end of the season, you might, uh, uh, you might get an extra week or so um, uh, after everybody else is harvesting uh, in Charlottesville, you might also uh, have your your shoots come out a little bit late in the spring, which which you know I think is a good thing because it protects you from frost. Um, you know, it's uh, it's it's a really good spot to be. We we have uh, you know hills on these hills. We we have a lot of uh, soil that's very well drained. Anytime it rains three inches in an afternoon, which uh, unfortunately happens from time to time. Uh, Pretty much all of that water goes to the field below us. Uh, same thing with cold air. You know, if if you have uh, frost and, and it's you know teetering right around 32 degrees, maybe maybe all the coldest air uh, goes to the bottom of the hill and and goes uh, down the road where it's a lower elevation than it is here. Why well, didn't I look? I, I didn't think about it. You don't have any. Do you have windmills to help move the no. air around it? No. Because because some vineyards do to they have the windmills to help move the air to keep the yeah. I guess to keep the frost from develop, forming or keep the dew point up and the moisture mm-hmm. content in the air down. So no, you don't have any of that here, and I never thought about that. No. So now now we we are not frost proof. Um, we had uh, uh, a frost here on uh, May thirteenth of two thousand thirteen. It was super late, um, and uh, I, I remember that morning. I, I went out at five or six in the morning with my vineyard manager, and we we drove around. And, and you just saw everything glistening. And uh, it felt like that scene uh, in Titanic where, you know, they're in the, the lifeboat and they're looking out with a flashlight and, like, everything is just as dismal as could be. Right. You just, you, like, you felt like everything was lost. Right. And, and so, so, you know, in 2013, we, we knew that, well, I guess for the next several months we're, we're, we're working for a vineyard that's not going to give us a, much of a crop. And um, it turned out that the, the fruit that we did get um, – it was was really great stuff. We just didn't get very much of it at right. all. So so let's let's talk a little bit a little bit about how that process goes into place. You you let's say you have an issue like that where you don't get as much from the you know it takes a little bit to grow the grapes. Mm-hmm. So you're going to take several years to get the grapes before you can even start producing. 
then once you're producing, how long do you have it age before you can bottle it and sell it? So, so yeah, that's that's a really good point. So, um, for example, when when we we planted um, just up the road, we have eight acres of Chamberson, Cab Franc, and Chardonnay, uh, a little scotch of Merlot up there. And uh, so we started looking at that property, uh, I think in 2013, we started like looking at maps of it. We, uh, you know, we'd walk the site, we'd see what all uh, the place had to offer. Um, in 2014, we actually ordered the vines. Uh, 2015, we started planting. In 2017, we got our first crop off of it. Uh, here in 2019, or maybe in 2020, we were going to bottle that Cabernet Franc, and probably in about 2021, that Cab Franc will be for sale. So, so you know, from the beginning of, of planning, yeah, let's plant this vineyard. Yes, we're going to make wine from it. Here's your receipt, ma'am. Is is a long time. Between right. those things. And so it's a lot of labor and it's a lot of uh, capital tied up. Um, now, our Chardonnay, we've, we've already bottled it and it's, it's already in, in the tasting room. But, but, you know, even that was released last year and that was, that was four or five years. And, and that's actually, I think, a disadvantage from a winery than a distillery. And whether I agree with it or not, a distillery can technically start selling clear spirits as soon as they pull it off the line. Sure. If it's, if it's good. E- even if it's not aged, um, to start making some capital, it just it's different. Whereas right. you don't have really that option. You have to have it aged some before you get there. Um, well, so so you know if you, if you wanted to build a winery and um, and you wanted to buy some white grapes or um, buy some uh, early harvested reds uh, to make a rosé with, you know th- we have wines that are harvested in. August, September, and then uh, they're in a bottle around the holidays, okay. like like, like so Christ- just a Christmas few or January. Several years. Yeah, and but the issue is that in Virginia, we we are a farm winery. Most wineries are farm wineries, and there is the fifty-one percent rule, which means that you need to grow uh, or manage the acreage where at least fifty-one percent of your fruit comes from. So, so at the heart of what we are and, and what we do as a winery, we're, we're a farm. Right. And, and so because of that, the state of Virginia gives certain privileges and rights to winemakers that historically they have not given to distillers right. and, and brewers, for example. Goes to uh, the agricultural piece. That's right. Yeah. So, so we, are, we, we have um, on-site sales privileges. Um, you know, people can come to the farm. They can taste our wine, they can buy our wine here. Um, you are allowed to um, uh, have a remote license. We're allowed to operate five of them at a time. And uh, uh, so if I want to sell at the farmer's market right. or if I want to go to a wine festival, okay. uh, I apply and say that we are going to be selling our wine at this location. This is the perimeter of where people will be served and where they will have the alcohol and, and that sort of thing. And then ABC says, yep. Here's your here's your license, and then we get to go to festivals. We get to go to the farmers market. So every every Saturday morning, we're in downtown Harrisonburg selling our wine, and we really don't sell a ton of wine at 8 a.m. Uh, at the farmers market. But well, I don't understand that. Right, me neither. Um, sometimes you'd be surprised. But 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 two things happen. One is a lot of people say oh, it's a really beautiful day and we'd really love to come to the vineyard. And then we see those people later in the afternoon. So that, that is important to us. But also we want everybody 
to remember that we are part of the farming community, the same as the guy who backs his, you know, his pickup truck full of, you know, ears of corn. Right. Like that guy, the guy growing tomatoes, uh, the people who are uh, selling pork um, from their farm, you know, we're, we're just like they are. And so we're, we're excited to be able to, to, um, to utilize that, that remote license every Saturday morning. So you said that you have about two dozen wines that you currently bought. Yeah, roughly. So I noticed as I was walking through your tasting room earlier, um, you've got some with specific labels on them, like Joshua Wilton House and stuff. Mm-hmm. How many wines do you have that you've made for specific locations or other partners um, to, to sell the wine? Yeah, so the the ones with Joshua Wilton and the local chop house, that was something that um, that came about, I think it started in 2013, and... Uh, I, I approached them about it. I didn't really know the team very well, but I knew I really, I really loved going there. Um, there had been a, um, uh, a local event that was supposed to promote uh, local wines and wine in, in the, the area, and um, it, was not a, it wasn't a very well-put-together event. And... Um, and, and so it, it didn't really promote wine right. or local wineries a lot. And it seemed to me that a lot of uh, people who give lip service to local, 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 you know, they, they say, oh, you should get this plate and this, this beef comes from uh, a local farm and this parsley uh, that is on top of that steak comes from a, a local producer and, and local, local, local. And we have and, California and, and wine. We have Argentine Malbec or we have whatever. And, and, and I, was, I got real sick of it, I, I, to be frank. Like, I got, I got really angry. And it's something that still bothers me today, that, that people who are... Uh, who just really love to wave that local food banner don't care. And, and I'm excited about the local breweries that we have in uh, Harrisonburg, and I would even call uh, some of them my friends. Right. Um, I've, I've, I've worked with them. Some of them have gotten barrels from us. Um, you know, um, I, I was invi- invited to one of their weddings. You know, like, they're, they're, they honestly are friends of ours. But it's, to me, it's not local food in the same regard right it doesn't come from rockingham county dirt right you know and and so so anyway uh back to what we were talking about the local chop house if you walk in there they they have a list of of virginia wineries that they serve on the wall and it had how many miles it was to each of those wineries so not only was it like Oh yeah, we do carry this stuff, but you should go see them too. Right. And and it really struck me that like these guys get it, and like a lot of local restaurants don't. Right. And so I approached them, and I was like, I said, you know, um, I I know of other wineries that make wines for restaurants, and and if that's something you guys would be into, I'd really like to do that. And so we did that first with the local chop house Cabernet, and and um, and then. You know, once once they were up and running with the Wilton House, I, I started making the Wilton White as well. We we, we also make a couple other, um, I guess you could say, private label wines. Um, we we made some for Bridgewater College. Uh, we've made some for Mary Baldwin, although we don't sell Mary Baldwin's wine. That's just something for for the college. Same thing with with JMU. You know, if if a bunch of other restaurants in Harrisonburg approached me and wanted to 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 do the same thing. 
I, I don't think I could do it because, you know, it's not, it's not something that I'm not, I'm not doing it just for every restaurant. Right. You know, because that, that means it's not special. Right. And to me, you know, there's something special about a bottle of wine. Not only, not only was it really made, not only did, I, I can't just go around making um, custom wines for everybody. You know, the, the Wilton House and the Chop House, they, they made those blends, actually. Like, they, right. I, I brought them wines. We, we blended them together. We, we went back and forth. It, it, it was a long process, and, like, they, they put those wines together, and I'm really excited about how they did it. Um, but, but the cool thing about it is not only was that, that wine, you know, put together um, by me for them and with them, but, but you know, it, there's, there's a certain level of... Um, I don't think exclusivity is the right word, but there's um, something that if you do it too often, it loses meaning. Sure. And so, so I, I wanted to to work with people like that, that. That that like I said, they really get it. Well, and they had the same mentality that you did. You, yeah. You talked about. I walked in the local chop house, and they had a list of all the local farms and how far they were away from yeah. where they get their produce. So it was the similar mindset. Whereas if you're doing it for everyone, mm-hmm. not everyone's going to have this. A similar mindset, right? So, That's right. So, how many bottles then do you produce here a year? Um, it depends. And it, <laughs> so, so, so yeah. So in in 2017, it was so awesome. Like the weather was perfect. You know, you you always get these late night phone calls from other winemakers and other grape growers, and and they'll say, "Hey, I got I got two tons of Merlot that needs a home. Do do you?" You want to buy it, or uh, you know, and and that sort of thing. <laughs> That's a great phone call to get. <laughs> so so yeah, so so my my um, the for a while there seemed to be a bit of a deficit in in Virginia grapes uh, out there, and so so it seemed like every grape in the state was spoken for. So if there was fruit on the table, you take it. And, and I don't think that's really the case anymore. I think, I think that production has caught up with, with the, the need for, for winemaking grapes. And so, um, but, but in, in 2017, everything was so good. I was like, I, I, I have to make this wine. It is so fantastic. And, and I'm really excited about the stuff that we have in the tasting room. It's 2017. Uh, I have, uh, I'm gonna guess 60 or 80 barrels left of 2017 stuff still in my cellar, that that I'm very excited to to get to a bottle one day. But but we made so much of it, I was turning away fruit that I knew was awesome. <laughs> we we would fill we filled up the entire winery with with bins and tanks and all this stuff, and um, at the end of the day, you you would cram it all into the 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 bay door off of my crush pad, and you couldn't move. On the inside, right, and so then you lock up and you come back in at seven o'clock the next morning and you pull everything back out of the winery. It was under the crush pad, so it was in the shade, but you had barrels and vats and everything outside because you couldn't move your forklift around. You couldn't get from one side of the building to the other. So, so that year we made about eight thousand cases, so almost a hundred thousand bottles. Okay. Um, this this past year we probably made I'm going to say between four and five thousand cases. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So you talked about moving the barrels in. And, and that's out. because it was cloudy in May. You gotta hate it when that happens. Well, no, so so you have uh, as you can see right now, you, you look outside and you've got these tiny shoots popping up and right. um, and soon we're gonna hit with what's called fruit set and uh, you need it to be sunny, you don't want it to be cloudy and rainy and just miserable and all that stuff. And uh, so, you know, just the smallest variance in weather can can have a 
lasting impact. And, it, and if it happens early in the season, it's probably going to affect quantity. And if it happens late in the season, it'll be quality. So we've had a very, very wet year. How is that going to Have we? Yeah. I didn't notice. Yeah, we've had a very, very wet year this year. Uh, Um, Yeah. We've had snow-wise, less snow, Mm -hmm. rain-wise, more inches of rain, um, we'll say over the last 12 months. Um, But really, you you talk about, you know, the weather, but if if the ground can currently handle it, it's Mm -hmm. probably not as big of a deal for you. Do, do you what do you think how this season's going to go? Because you're right at the start of your season. You said shoots are just starting to come up. And man, I I have uh, I have I have hung up my hat of uh, the fortune teller. <laughs> I um I don't know how it's going to go. You know there you there is um this terrible sickness of optimism. Right. I think in most winemakers, like if you if you didn't have it, you know you you'd stop. Right. You know, like if I thought. I, the way I describe it is in 2017, if every year were 2017 in Virginia, we have about almost 300 wineries right now. If, if every year was 2017, we'd have eight or 900 wineries right. in the state. If every year was 2018, you'd probably have three to four, and all four of them would be, would be buying their fruit from another <laughs> state. Like right. it, was, it, was, it was really rough. I had one friend who grows fruit on this side of the mountain, and this goes back to what I was talking about with being a valley vineyard they, they grow fruit on this side of the the mountain and then also on the east side of the blue ridge and they were tracking and i think this was in july so you know we still had a lot of rain to go and they said that their vineyard in um in the shenandoah valley had received about a foot more rain than normal by july and the vineyard on the other side of the mountain had received a foot more of rain than that wow yeah. So, so if, if, you know, I, I, th- I think, I think it goes, it goes into, um, you know, one of those things that like, yeah, you, you have to be optimistic, right? You know, you have to say it's 2019. It's, well, a, new it's, year. it's a new year. And that's, that's another one of those things. It's, it's exciting. You know, I, I'm, I'm now getting into, um, I'm starting to reap the benefits of things that I did six years ago here. Right. And the things that I'm doing today are, are going to uh, manifest themselves, you know, um, you know, years from now as well. But, but at the same time, at the end of every vintage, you get to start over. Right. And so that's, that's really exciting. And, and I, I think that that's also where that optimism has to play. I want to thank Lee Hartman from Bluestone Vineyards for spending time with me talking about their wines. And I'll tell you that the interview continues in the next episode. You don't want to miss it. You can visit the tasting room for Bluestone Vineyards at 4828 Spring Creek Road in Bridgewater, Virginia. You can find them on Facebook at Bluestone Vineyards and follow them on Twitter at Bluestone Vine. If you're interested in the more nerdy side of winemaking, you can find Lee on Facebook at Lee Hartman Winemaker. Bluestone's website is bluestonevineyard.com. You can follow Living in the Glass on Facebook and Twitter. You can also find me on Instagram. You can email me at livinginthegla@gmail.com. at gmail.com. If you have any ideas of places you'd like me to visit, send me a message. Tell me where you'd like me to go next. Join me next time as we continue our interview with Lee Hartman here on Living in the Glass. Until next time, cheers.